0: What a wonderful morning it is to be able to assemble, to offer praise and adoration and worship to the great God of heaven, and hasn't He been good to us? It was mentioned in prayer about some afflictions and difficulties others are facing, and certainly our mind has rushed and will continue to do so to those to those individuals, but certainly you and I have been so wonderfully blessed today. May I suggest, too, that certainly in light of the announcement that was made earlier I've heard so many comments already today about the enjoyment, the excitement that surrounded the ladies' class yesterday, many expressing thanks, thankfulness for that. We certainly want to thank Denise for organizing that. And so many already are looking forward to to the reality of future meetings. We want to lift up their hands, encourage them in that good, good work. Today you may have noticed in the bulletin though that the title of the lesson is the same one on the wall to my left and we're going to discuss prayer for the next few moments. Brother Cale led us today in in a couple of prayers already and as he did that, we each together were petitioning God, could I ask you to think for a moment today about prayer? Does God hear prayer? I think I already know very well. The fact you and I have prayed, we suspect the answer to be yes. In fact, we're convinced it is. May I ask, are there conditions though? Are there conditions as revealed in the Word of God such that God will not hear prayer? Let's study that this morning. This opening slide is one that will motivate us, move us, compel us to give some thought to the nature of that question and these attributes of the Word of God. The Bible lifts so high the reality of prayer encouraging all of those that would be pleasing to God to engage in it. Daniel, even though the government said not to, prayed with devotion three times every day. Daniel 6, verses 4 and following. Didn't Jesus say that men ought always to pray and not to faint? Luke 18, 1. Maybe you and I can notice that we are in fact admonished to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. To say all of those things is to say you and I recognize well that the Bible highlights the fact God does hear prayer. But may I again ask, are there conditions? Are there things about my life, for instance, that might mean God will not hear my prayer? The answer is yes. Yes. What are some conditions then about prayer? Let's begin this lesson with this slide and highlight this. God has not promised to hear every prayer that anybody may send his way or at least direct toward him. In fact, the Word of God specifically says God does not always hear prayer. It would behoove us then to embed in our heart the reality of that so that we can always make sure that our life meets the conditions to where we can petition God with conviction and confidence that He will hear. Let's begin that study like this. First, I'd like us to notice that I did put the word here in quotation marks. The reason I did that is this. We know God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful and He's all-knowing. He knows whenever person's praying, no doubt but He has not always promised to respond to the prayer a person may send His way. In Proverbs 15, 3 we read, "...the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good." In Hebrews 4, verse 13, "...neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do." So needless to say, our God is aware... Of everything that you or I may ever do, whether it's good or bad, and that also means that when I'm attempting to pray, He knows it. But that immediately leads us to note this. Sometimes He does respond to those prayers, and He does so with vigor and enthusiasm. Can you think of some Bible examples when He said, I've heard your prayer, I called your attention? 2 Kings 19, verse 20. The man on the throne of Judah at that time was Josiah. God said, Josiah, I've heard your prayer. There was something about Josiah and the kind of man that he was and the way he lived his life. God had respect to his prayer. And He, in fact, answered it. As another example, in Psalm 118, verse 21, there the psalmist highlighted that God has heard me. Are you and I convinced of that? When you and I pray, do we have the fullest assurance that He's hearing it? Well, as you and I develop this, that point must immediately be followed by this one. For in addition to those verses that speak about God hearing prayer, notice these where He does not. There are many examples in the Bible when individuals prayed to Him, but God said, I didn't hear it. I will not hear it. Now again, that doesn't mean he's unaware of the fact the person's praying, but he says, I have no respect to that prayer. It's not my intent to respond to it the way that the person's prayed it. Look at these examples. In Isaiah 1 verse 15, in regard to, again, ancient Judah, here was a group of people. They had in possession the will and law of God, but God said, I won't hear their prayers. Doesn't that shock you to the core? Here were His people, those who had His law. In terms of their ancestry, there had been men like Moses and Joshua. And God said, I won't hear these guys' prayers. He goes on in that context to say why. Their lives were not reflections of what they ought to have been. Look at another example in Jeremiah 11, verse 11. Another Old Testament prophet, again, God speaking through him, highlighted, I will not hear... They can pray to me all they want, but I'm not going to hear it. Look at another example in Ezekiel 8 verse 18. By this point, the people had gone into captivity, and one more time, their rebelliousness and the hardness of their heart led God to say, I won't hear them. I suppose those alone bring us to notice foolish princes in Micah 3 verse 4. God said, I won't hear them either. By now, we're already beginning to see many examples in the Bible when God did respond to prayer, but there were other times He didn't. One last thing on that slide. The New Testament thunderously presents this idea as well. In 1 Peter 3, I'd like you to notice. Please notice with me the statement of this passage. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous... And his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. There Peter highlighted it. There are some prayers God will hear and there are other prayers He won't. I know that you and I would always wish to be in that category such that God will hear and respond to our prayer. And that will be the remainder of our lesson this morning. So what are the conditions such that God will hear my prayer? As you and I close that slide, we're then going to notice these conditions one by one, and I've tried to devote each slide to to one of them. First condition, condition number one. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9, when the apostles ask our Savior, teach us to pray when they in fact besought Him that He might give instruction as to the reality of their prayer, the first words out of the Master's mouth were these, Our Father which art in heaven. And isn't it true that in that we see the reality that Jesus said when you pray, you address Him as Father. Doesn't that immediately suggest if one's not a child of God, you do not have the right to expect that God will respond to that prayer. Our Father... Only those who are the child of God can thus expect to have their prayers answered. That in the only place a thought like that is found. In Revelation 5, as the panorama of those scenes that John saw were presented before him, John saw a great throne in heaven. And as he saw that throne, there was one on the throne, and in his right hand was a book sealed seven times, and ultimately... One was worthy to take that book and loose the seals. And yet in that description, John, what you see right in the book, and John saw the prayers of the saints ascending before God. Notice, prayers of saints. One would have to then be reckoned as a saint to anticipate and expect that his prayers would arrive at the marvelous and wonderful place called heaven. Isn't it true in light of those things we can now say this, if I'm not a child of God and I've reached that age of accountability, then I have no right to expect that God will hear my prayer. Now thankfully, we are told very clearly what's involved in being a child of God. In Galatians 3 verses 26 and 27, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I've got to be an obedient Christian I have to have been baptized into the blessed body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Only those people have been vouchsafed the privilege of prayer. Isn't that a delightful thing to consider, then, the beauty of that? As a member of God's family, I can petition Him as Father and all the while have some confidence, in fact, the fullest of it, that He will hear and that He will respond to that prayer. You'll also note this. There was a grand message in Colossians 4 verse 2. As Paul addressed the church of Colossae, wasn't it true that to them he said, you be earnest, you be instant in prayer. Now isn't it true he addressed that to the church? Those that were again members of the family of God. I would use that as an opportunity to say condition number one has been this. I must be a child of God in order for God to hear my prayer. But that isn't the only condition. Let's look at another one for what else must also be the case. Faithfulness. Let's develop that in the following way. There's a verse I'm sure you've already considered with me in your mind, but notice one of the adjectives found in it. "'Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed.'" "...the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." Did you note the word righteous? He didn't say the effectual fervent prayer of a man availeth much. There's a certain kind of man. It's a righteous man. "...the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." So one must be a child of God to be sure, but one must be a faithful child of God, a righteous child of God. Isn't it true, in 1 John 3 verse 22, a different New Testament writer stated it like this, as he described the nature of whatever we ask of Him, we have because we keep His commandments. Second condition is, even though I may have been baptized, if I'm not attempting, striving to keep His commandments and be faithful to Him, I have no right to expect that He will hear my prayer. Well, our development of that perhaps is worthy of some additional consideration. Perhaps like this. As you think about those verses, it seems that there are some very strong presentations that help us understand this. I think I can think of none any better than Zechariah chapter 7. In Zechariah 7, there's a rather lengthy presentation. I'm only going to select a part of it, but I think it'll be enough to make the point clear. In Zechariah 7, there's a discussion of the people of God at that time, and they had, of course, made some very poor decisions. They were living unfaithful to Him. And this is how it's described. Beginning in verse number 8 And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow nor the fatherless, the stranger nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Now note verse 11. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. So the first observation is God said, I gave them commandments and I gave them statutes, but they wouldn't hear. Now the next verse. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in His spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. And now, verse 13, is the icing on the cake. Therefore it is is come to pass that as He cried and they would not hear, so they cried and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, I spoke to them and gave them laws, but they wouldn't hear, and now they cry and pray to me, and I won't hear. Doesn't that highlight that if you're not faithful, if you don't strive to be obedient to God, even though one may have been baptized, you have no right to expect that God will hear that prayer. Doesn't that impress upon you and me the needfulness of faithfulness to be righteous, to be holy and directed unto God? As you and I add to that, look at this host of additional verses. In Psalm 66 verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isn't that strong? Now notice, it didn't say, I actually carried out those things, but if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I dwell on what's evil and ungodly and unrighteous, and that which is opposed to the things of God, God won't hear me. What do you and I think about then? Let's add to that. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Brother Joey read that earlier as the lesson text. As often as we've reflected on it, it's the last part of verse 2 that we should reconsider. What did it say? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So here were people of God who had sufficiently pursued iniquity that God says, I won't hear them. We need to be faithful. Let's add to that the following. In Psalm 24, a description is given about those who will ascend to the holy hill of God, and among them are those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Are your hands clean and your heart pure? If not, you don't have any reason to think that God will hear your prayer. May I say one last thing in 1 Timothy 2.8. A description is given about those men that lead us in prayer in a public way. And you remember the adjective that's used. I will that men lift up holy hands unto God. You see, we should anticipate, men, as we're leading prayer, our lives ought to be a life of holiness so that we not only should expect that our prayers would reach heaven, but we could set an example for those about us that they would try to to live in a holy and godly way. Two conditions so far. Must be a child of God. Must be faithful. But what else is required in order for you and I to expect that God will hear our prayer? Confidence. Confidence. Isn't it true as you and I begin that consideration? God expects, in fact He demands, that His children have confidence in Him. But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Now, that general description of faith and confidence and belief in Him finds particular application to prayer. I might pause and ask this. When you and I pray, do we really believe that He's going to answer it? Do we really believe that He's going to hear and in fact have an appreciation for responding to that prayer? Or rather, do we pray just by proceeding through motions because we think we need to or should May we always have a confidence described by these verses we're about to see. In Job 42, 2 that ancient patriarch highlighted this, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholding from thee. Job said he knew it. Might we add to that, that famous statement of Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, And didn't Jesus Himself affirm in Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. May you and I then as Christians realize we have an avenue to by far the greatest being that there is. Far more powerful than the United States government. Far more powerful than any assortment of men. It's a fine thing, I suppose, to petition our senators and legislators and other government officials in the efforts to moving toward that which is godly. But may I say that by far the greatest power that a Christian has is petitioning the Almighty God of heaven and in the confidence that He will respond to the prayer of a faithful man, understanding what great things can come therefrom. Let's add to that the following. In 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, we have this statement. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything in His name, He will hear us. And if He hear us, then we shall have that which we have requested. Now did you notice twice in that there's confidence and we know that He will hear us. One of the things that has to be true in order for us to expect that God will hear us, we have to have confidence. Confidence that there is, of course, this great being of God and that He will hear His children. How confident are you and I? That's only heightened when we appreciate this. In James 1, verses 5 through 8, you perhaps remember it well. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And isn't that preceded by this? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now who is that man that wouldn't receive anything of the Lord? The man that doubts. Verse 6, James 1. So if you and I aren't confident, we are expressly told we have no reason to expect that God will hear our prayer in the sense of providing answer. Maybe it's fair to close that slide like this. You and I are admonished as those who are servants of the Almighty God of heaven, that with boldness we may petition Him and approach His throne. In fact, that verse puts it in these words. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So condition three is now this one. First, a child of God. Secondly, a faithful child of God. Thirdly, a confident and faithful child of God. Confident in light of prayer and God's answer to it. Condition number four, contriteness. As we're about to see, there is another element of expectation, in fact, of demand on the part of God that must be true in order for us to expect Him to hear our prayer. This word contrite, let's in fact develop it like this. As we're about to encounter it in the Bible, let me go ahead and define it. It literally means to be crushed, it means to be broken, it means to be humble. In other words, we must never ever have a haughty spirit, an arrogant or prideful display or spirit of disposition with respect to the things of prayer or otherwise. We must be a person who humbly submits to our God in heaven, to those verses that I mentioned a minute ago. In 2 Kings 22, verses 19 and following, may I ask you to consider when God told Josiah that I heard your prayer, what characteristics of Josiah did God mention that says, this is why I heard you. Josiah, you had a tender heart. Josiah, your spirit was broken in light of the waywardness of these people and you had a desire to be right with me and I heard your prayer. You and I should expect, as we come to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that message, in fact, was given to the nation of Israel. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. will forgive their sin and will heal their land." Notice there was an if, then in that statement. If they didn't do the former, God wouldn't do the latter. If they didn't first humble themselves and approach God properly, respectfully and submissively, then God never promised to hear them. When you and I come to the New Testament and we think about verses in a moment we're going to read in Luke 18, let's preface that with this statement. In Psalm 51, we have an Old Testament description of David's prayer. David had just committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He had committed murder by killing Uriah. He had engaged in drunkenness. And the whole scenario surrounding that that array of sins had tarnished and marred David. And Nathan came to him and said, David, you're the man. And upon that bluntness... Psalm 51 presents David's humble approach to God. He said in verse 17, Out of a contrite heart, O God! He wanted more than anything else to be right with God, and he wanted forgiveness from those sins he'd committed. And his prayer was described as one of contriteness, humility, a spirit that was crushed and broken. No wonder when we come to passages like Proverbs 6, we notice there are seven things that God hates. Seven things He hates. As that's listed, one of them's a high look. A high look. That person motivated with arrogance, haughtiness, and pride. God said, I hate that kind of disposition. As you and I have seen these verses so far, it seems contriteness and humility is an integral part of that. What does that mean when we come to the parable delivered in Luke 18. In verses 9 and following of that chapter, we remember the scenario, the prayers of two gentlemen are discussed. On the one hand, there was a Pharisee. Oh, how noble were his words. I thank God I'm not like that publican. I fast twice in the week. I strive to do that which is pious and godly. He basically felt as though God owed him something. It's almost as if he felt, God, you ought to be thankful I'm speaking to you. But on the other hand, there was a publican who in humility, with a broken spirit, wouldn't even so much as lift up his direction, but said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus himself said, which one of the two went down to his house justified? It wasn't a Pharisee. There was contriteness and humility required. And wasn't that highlighted in the reality of the publican? And so it is, as you and I close that slide, we notice this condition too is vital. So we must be a child of God who is faithful, who is contrite, and who is confident. One last condition and the lesson will be yours. What else do we find that's required? We noticed it a moment ago in 1 John 5, but it'll be time to perhaps emphasize it again. In verses 14 and 15 of that chapter, we have a statement that appears in these words, according to His will. It should be our earnest desire always to become sufficiently godly that we can pray according to God's will. I say that for the following reason. One of the issues, the temptations that it seems reared its ugly head through the Word of God on occasion was that individuals would pray selfishly. They prayed only for themselves. Now let's be quick to say there ain't anything wrong with praying for the needs of our life. Didn't Jesus say, give us this day our daily bread? Matthew six eleven. Surely as we can petition God and beseech Him for the needs of our daily life, we have to be careful. The words of James chapter 4 will describe this in the greatest of fullness. So could I direct you to that? I've listed it on that slide and verse 2 will be our focus. James chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. But verse 2 shall describe the fullness of the thought before us. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members?' Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now verse 3 had made the following statement. Ye ask and receive not. Here's a description of individuals who asked God. They petitioned Him in prayer, but they didn't receive what they asked. Why not? It says, because you ask amiss." Why did they ask amiss? In what way did they ask amiss? The latter part of the verse identifies it like this, that you may consume it upon your lusts. What they were asking for, they were only interested in fulfilling their physical desires, their physical character There's a greater and more noble thing. What about somebody else? Do you and I pray for others as we should? Are we concerned about their plight, their difficulties, the matters and responsibilities that they face? If our prayer is centered around things that I can consume in my flesh, that text says I shouldn't expect that God will hear it. No wonder you notice the model, model prayer again in verse 10. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prefaced those ideas, that prayer. It was His desire that the great will of God be accomplished, not only in earth, but certainly you and I should desire it in our life. Isn't it interesting to think then asking according to His will? Because it's not what Jesus did? Here was the Son of God who in the very throes of Gethsemane he prayed with such earnestness, "O oh, Father, let this cup pass from me.'" Knowing full well what was going to occur the next day, if these things continued, He was going to be crucified. But did you notice He said, "'Let this cup pass from me nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt.'" It would be a good thing for us always, at the very least, to keep that thought in mind if perhaps we don't exactly say it. But it seems to me it'd be wise to actually say, Oh God, above all things, I want Your will to be done. And may we pray for wisdom that we can pray according to His will. As we close this lesson this morning, we've looked at five conditions such that God will hear our prayer. We began the lesson by noting a number of verses in which He didn't hear certain prayers, and now we have highlighted that these five things are needed. We must be a child of God who is faithful, who is confident, who is contrite, and who is desirous of not praying amiss, that is to say, praying according to His will. If there's anyone in this audience this morning, and that's not the description of you, We've just learned that your prayers are not heard by God. In the sense that He will not answer. Don't you want to rectify that situation? Don't you want to come into the fold, into a circumstance such that you can rest assured that God will hear you? You realize that's done as you become a child of God. We learned that early in the lesson today. You need to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess the greatness of His name as the Son of God and be baptized. At that point, you are then a faithful member of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. As you live faithfully until death, you can live life in a confident way knowing your prayers, just like Revelation 5, 8 says, encircle the very throne of God. Today, if we could be of assistance to anyone as you become a child of God, we'd be happy to help. If you are a wayward child of God, though, meaning you at one time had the privilege of prayer, but no longer you do... You aren't faithful. You realize your prayers aren't heard. God has never promised to hear your prayers. John 9, 31 still says, We know that God heareth not sinners. If that's the description of your life, why do you want to stay that way? Don't you want to have an avenue, an advocate, one on whose side you stand with the God of heaven? 1 John 2, 1. If today we could petition God on your behalf for your forgiveness. You, of course, have to repent and you need to confess those things. It's a time in which this loving group of people would be happy to pray on your behalf. If we could help you in that way, we would urge you to let us do it and do it now while together we stand and while we sing.